felt like walking And I felt like talking, yeah And I felt like singing And I felt like running And I felt like shouting And I felt like walking And I felt like talking I felt like talking, yeah Speaking truth to power The one who can endure till the end Say this is the day That the Lord has made And I 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 invite you to stand as we continue this joyful time of worship, singing our first hymn, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound.
Good afternoon, Middle. Um, join me in the invitation to worship, Psalms 37, chapters 1 through 6. Do not fret because of the wicked. Do not be envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in God and do good, so you will live in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in God, and God will act. She will make your vindication shine like the light, and the justice of your cause like the noonday. Thank you. Amen. Good morning, Middle family. How are we today? I'm Amanda, I'm one of the ministers here at Middle and I want to welcome you to Middle today. If you are worshiping with us online, we welcome you as well. And want to let you know if you are online that you can find our digital minister in the chat box. So look for Natalie there for any prayer concerns. You can see the bulletin and anything that we post here will also be in the chat box. Who is here today for the very first time? Anyone? Wow, welcome. Keep your hands up for just a minute, if you would, please. And if you are comfortable, let us know where you're from. East Harlem, welcome. Over here, where are you all from? Right here? Go ahead. From Manhattan? Welcome. Brooklyn. France, welcome. Back here. France, get together. <laughs> Say it again. South Carolina. South Carolina, welcome. Where are you from? Hudson Valley. Yeah. Paris, wonderful. Right here? Manhattan, wonderful. Anybody that I missed? We're so glad you all are here. Where are you from? California, wow, this is wonderful. We would love to stay in touch with you. You'll find a green card in the pew. If you would please write your name and email on that, we would love to stay in touch. This is a busy day and a busy week in the life of Middle. Today, you're invited to stay after for the third and final session of our leadership lab, Race Matters. Um, Bertram and I will be leading that today at 1.30 right here. Even if this is your first time, please stay. And there will be childcare available. Talk to Marta if that is something that you would like to make use of. On Tuesday at 7 p.m., we have a wonderful event. Eve Insler will be here hosting Rage, Rejoice, and Rise, which is a wonderful opportunity to kick off Women's History Month. Jackie will be speaking, Betty will be performing, our own gospel choir will be performing. So I really hope that you'll make plans to join us on Tuesday at 7. Tickets are only $10. They are on sale. You can get them on our website and all of the proceeds will go to fund our justice ministry. So please spread the word about this event on Tuesday night. Uh, next Sunday, I hope that you'll make plans to join us for an interfaith play date. Details about that are behind me. And want to let you know that immediately following the service, I will be up front here, and there are many things that you can do on this computer that I will have. I'd love to register you for our conference, our Revolutionary Love Conference that is coming up uh, the first weekend in April. There is a middle rate of only $99 instead of $399, but that rate ends at the end of the month. Um, maybe that's Friday? So you want to get registered today. We can also get your Eve tickets then. Uh, you can join the church then, and you can also take part in our Love Transforms campaign by picking up a beautiful heart that we have lost. Here it is. We want to hear how love has changed you and how Middle Church's love has changed you so that we can change the world and spread the good news about this place together. So come up afterwards. We're so glad you're here. Now I'll invite my colleague Derek up to lead us in a time of prayer. Hello again, Middle. We want to begin this time of prayer by doing what the Bible beckons us to do, maybe not often enough, to be still. 
and know that God is God. And in the blessedness of these moments of silence, let the presence of the divine be evident to us, but also let it be magnified in how we are in each other's presence as well. Won't you join me in this time of silence and reflection? God, you who are gracious and loving, you who sustain us through your loving kindness and mercy and strength, we thank you for your abiding presence in our midst in this gathered time, in this gathered hour. We thank you for, as is often said, knowing us even better than we know ourselves speaking to our heartaches, speaking to our weaknesses, speaking, yes, even to our stumbles and failures, but speaking to those moments with love, love immeasurable, how we thank you. How we thank you for abiding in our midst even now as we strive to be that community which by our love, shines brightly in a world so in need of light. So strengthen us in that task before we are called even to other things. Help us to love, to love one another, and to have a love that indeed is contagious. There's so much that weighs upon our hearts this day, God, but in this moment, we pray for our siblings in the United Methodist Church who are confronted with a moment of great challenge and difficulty. And even in this moment, though, God, remind them and remind us that you are love. Love personified and magnified. And help them and help all of us to understand that our first and foremost and truly our only task is to love as we have been loved. Oh God, our hearts are heavy, yes, this morning. For those who still bear the weight and the scars of abuse, whether they be in the Catholic Church, whether they be in the Southern Baptist Convention, or whether they be in any place or in any quarter. Help us, oh God, to show them compassion and to be part of that which might bring healing and wholeness to them. God, we ask that our voices be strengthened to always cry for justice. We know that there are those who will be making their way to Albany later on this coming week to advocate for bail reform, but in doing so, advocate even more so for all those things that bring equity to a system of justice that is so broken. Give them strength in that task and give each of us strength in the task that you call us to. We thank you, God. For all that lays before us, we thank you, God, for never leaving us or forsaking us. We thank you, God, for allowing us to love, yes, as we have been loved. For this, we indeed are thankful and call upon you by the many names that you hear and answer to. Amen. We invite you now to stand if you are able and join hands if you so desire to share in the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, saying, ever loving and 
Holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the reign and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Peace of God surpasses all understanding, and may that peace of God be with you today. Will you share the peace of God with one another? Peace of God be with you. You know, the band ushers us into worship. I don't even know for some of you, because you come a little bit later, but... Uh... <laughs> Shade! Um, but they... Uh, <laughs> in a good way, the Jesus-loving way. Uh, but uh, the band plays such an instrumental role in what we do here. And they help us to worship and they help us to go to that place that we're looking for. for so we're just, we're just blessed uh, to have them with us and to be ministering together. I don't want to bother you 
That's a sign of a life who knows that God has been good to her. Mm -hmm. And to all of us, amen? Amen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 45, verses 3 through 11, and then verse 15 from the New International Version, if that means anything to you. <laughs> Here we go. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to persevere, or to preserve you, rather, to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Verse 15, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word. Good afternoon, Middle. Please join me in prayer. God, we pray that your words would speak now. That the words that I offer would be your truth proclaimed to your people. And that when we hear your words spoken, that our hearts would be piqued and changed and aligned with your spirit so that we may do your work and heal your world and love your world as you have called us to love. We pray these things trusting in each and every one of your holy names. Amen. Amen. Mm. They say that we're not supposed to speak in generalities, but I think it's fair, fairly safe to say that all families are complicated. <laughs> the relationship we have with those few people who share our unique genetic code and ancestry, or the families into which we were adopted or married or welcomed are often in some way shaped by strife and conflict. That doesn't deny the good times of joy-filled memories of loved ones and birthday parties and holidays, family trips, and this morning we celebrated the baptism of a new young life, or even the simple pleasures of a good meal shared around a common table. But it also doesn't erase the levels of complexity and the history of turmoil that so frequently runs below the surface among us in our kin. In every culture across the globe, parents and siblings make up the primary community, the fundamental building block of society that teaches and nurtures and in the best occasions loves us into being the person that God has intended us to be. But families are also made up of complex human beings, individuals with their own unique needs and experiences, dreams, pains, and struggles. And when you get all those people together, they create a unique web, a, a system of pattern of behavior and communication with each other that can at the very least be complicated, if not in some cases violent and abusive. 
Whether your family looked like the Cleavers or the Huxtables or the Huangs or even the Simpsons, each, even the Simpsons, each of us has a story or 12 or 20 about how our families often disappointed us and did not love us in the way that God intended. Amen? Amen. If your experience of family has left you wounded or with moments of regret, know that you are in good company. The Bible is full of stories of disappointing, disastrous, and dysfunctional family relations. From the beginning, we witness marital strife when Adam blames his wife Eve for convincing him to do the thing that God told him not to do. And as soon as they are thrown out of the Garden of Eden, their son Cain kills his brother Abel. Later in Genesis, Isaac and Rebekah conceive twins and they are at odds with each other, even within their mother's womb. And then when they grow up, the younger brother swindles his older brother Esau out of his birthright. And the legacy of brother's animosity against brother gets passed down to Joseph's generation. There are no perfect families, none in the Bible and none in life outside of the Bible. These are all stories of human frailty and failings, and we are just barely into the first book of Holy Scripture. The passage that we read today, that Lee read for us, is just a snapshot in Joseph's life, but it's also the pinnacle. It's the, very, it's the story of a complicated relationship that he has with his family. Many of us know about the song of Joseph and his amazing Technicolor dream coat, but listen to the story behind the musical. Joseph was the youngest of Jacob's 12 sons, and because he was born when Jacob was very, very old, Joseph became his favorite, and everybody knew it. His 11 brothers grew increasingly jealous of this kid. At 17, Joseph had a series of dreams that he would one day rule over his father and brothers, and then when he told them this, it only provoked their hatred even more, even to the point that they conspired to kill him. And in a show of compassion, his brother Reuben talked them out of it, but while Reuben was away, his brother sold him into slavery, which eventually landed him in Egypt. The brothers lied to Jacob, saying that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal, and they cast the coveted robe, ripped and bloodied, at his father's feet. And you thought your siblings were bad. Fast forward in time and famine has spread throughout the region and Joseph's ability to interpret dreams had made Egypt rich and it earned him the role of the governor of the region. The brothers went to Pharaoh to buy food for their family survival and they didn't recognize Joseph, but he recognized them. He exacted some small revenge by manipulating his brothers emotionally, but in the end it was all revealed that he was there. In chapter 45, it begins, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. And he wept loudly, so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? but his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. Joseph is the hero in the story. He's the protagonist. And pastors and professors like to focus on Joseph as this agent of God's providence, of a, a fulfillment of God's promise to the ancestors and a symbol of God's forgiveness and reconciliation. But what of his brothers? What's it like being confronted again by your greatest sin, your biggest offense, and your deepest pain that you thought you'd buried long, long ago? Not many of us want to relive the misdeeds of our youth or the things that we said or did in anger to cause another pain and suffering. We don't want to face those aspects of our character or traits that show us as fallible, weak, and flawed. But for Joseph's brothers and for many of us today, the primary way that we find healing and transformation through our wrong 
is by being willing to face it head on. Noted African-American author and activist James Baldwin wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. And middle family and America as a whole, there are some things that we have to face. Jackie mentioned a couple of weeks ago that our staff spent five weeks of this year diving deep into a book, uh, White Fragility by Robin D'Angelo. And Amanda and I will be presenting the book today in our final leadership lab. And as she said, even if you haven't read the book or if you, uh, if you don't know anything about it, you're still welcome to attend. The thesis of the book is that people who identify as white, regardless of their political economic, religious, educational status, or even in the most progressive circles, work almost unconsciously to maintain a system of white superiority and cultural dominance. When white fragility is triggered by some form of perceived racial discomfort, white people utilize a variety of covert and overt tools to maintain power and restore equilibrium. Conversations about affordable housing and gentrification, bail reform and mass incarceration, safer schools and who gets access to them are just some of the ways that this plays out in our public life. I once had a colleague, um, a white colleague, who told me that gentrification wasn't so bad because it brought great resources and restaurants into the neighborhood. I said to him I wasn't surprised that he felt that way because all of those services were designed to help people like him feel more comfortable in the neighborhood. <laughs> then he, he got it. Middle family, if you've been here for more than five minutes, you know that we are a community that prides itself on welcoming every person, every culture, every belief system, every identity that's rooted in love. Love, period, is who we are. But we're also growing in understanding that being multicultural and multi-ethnic is not enough. Even with an amazingly dynamic black woman as our senior minister leading our way, the culture of whiteness and white dominance are still at play in our ranks every day. Just because we worship together and sing together in the choir and serve in leadership together or are involved in interracial relationships, it doesn't mean that we're committed to the work of racial justice and dismantling white supremacy. Welcoming people of different cultures is easy. Working to rid ourselves of ingrained values of superiority and systems that oppress our siblings is where the real work begins. We are a beautifully diverse family and there is great love shared among us and among you. But if we really want this family to grow, to heal, to be the agents of true radical love, we've also got to grow in our understanding of what it means to be anti-racist. I will confess that the conversations we had as as a staff and the subsequent changes we've attempted to make about how we relate to each other have been harder for us than anyone expected. But it's the work that we as a staff have to do. We have to address the truth of the offenses and the racial violence we level against each other here in Middle Church before we can begin to transform the world around us outside of Middle Church. And the way we do that is the same invitation that Joseph gave to his brothers. Come closer. Brian Stevenson, the author of Just Mercy and the founder of the Legacy, excuse me, the uh, Equal Justice Initiative and the Legacy Museum, uh, which our youth visited this past year and we'll talk about later, says this. He says, he believes that if we want to find the power to change the world, we must get proximate to another suffering and to understand the nuanced experiences of those who experience injustice and equality and inequality. Stephen believes that when we allow ourselves to be shielded and disconnected from those who are vulnerable and disfavored, 
We lose our effectiveness, but proximity is a pathway through which we learn the kind of things we need to know to make healthier communities and to make middle a healthier community of faith. Before his brothers could fully enjoy the blessings and the comfort that Joseph had to offer them, before they could get free of the hate and the shame that they'd held in their hearts all those years, before they could experience reconciliation and forgiveness, they had to come closer to the one that they wronged. They had to feel his pain, to see his tears and suffering, the suffering that they had caused, and to make a personal commitment not to walk the path of hate and jealousy and violence again. Dr. Alfonetta Wines, a womanist pastor and theologian, writes, Reconciliation requires facing and telling the truth, no matter how difficult or painful it may be. In today's world, this is part of the problem that people often miss. They want reconciliation without the work of facing and dealing with the truth. The truth about the past, the truth about the present, and the truth about the future. There can be no healing, no moving forward until the wounds of the past and their effect on the present and the future are openly and honestly and truthfully addressed. Why stay stuck in the past when the truth can set us free? Before the brothers could enjoy the physical riches of food and water. They had to address the spiritual poverty that existed in their hearts. They had to face the truth of how they had wronged their brother and that although he met them with grace and forgiveness for the relationship to change, they had to change. This is the power of proximity. And some of us have been struggling with the issue of confronting and questioning the truth uh, for the past few weeks. And as a black gay man, I'm going to take a moment of privilege uh, to just touch on the events of the last month as it relates to Jesse Smollett. I know there are many of us who are here today and watching online who've been following closely the developments of this tragedy, and it is a tragedy. As one of the few prominent out, black, same gender loving actors right now, many of us have aligned ourselves, our sense of identity, our credibility, our reputation, and our success along with his. When it was reported that he had been attacked, many of us also felt that we had been attacked. And we were traumatized by the very real threat that this could and did happen to someone that we care for a member of our family. When we look at the violence in the queer community, we know that just as in other places in society, people of color face an undue burden. Last year alone, at least 24 of our transgender siblings were killed here in the U.S. An overwhelming 82% of them were women of color. So friends, the threat is real. And although we may identify as part of the black or queer family, we are not responsible for justifying Jesse's actions. We cannot explain his reasoning, the pain or need he felt to do what he allegedly did. And believe me, I still hope that it's not true. But if he is to be prosecuted for making a false statement, I have to question the justice system that allows this to happen and that what's at work here. If Jesse goes to jail, what about the numerous men and women who have made fraudulent claims against countless black and brown people? This isn't just about Barbecue Becky or the Starbucks manager who called police on black men while they were waiting for a, a business meeting. What about the people who called in false claims on Tamir Rice and John Crawford? and their lives ended up being gunned down by police. What about Carolyn Bryant, who died last year, but lived 65 years in seclusion after she admitted to lying in a Mississippi courtroom about what happened between her and a 13-year-old Emmett Till that ultimately led to him being pistol-whipped, mutilated, shot, and gunned down in one of the most notorious civil rights era's lynchings. 
If Jesse is to be prosecuted for a claim where no one was harmed, shouldn't there certainly be prosecution for a claim where people lose their lives? Mm. Come closer, Joseph says. Come closer. Listen to the truth of what you have done to enslave me and to separate me from my people and from my family. Come, see the impact of your internalized hate against who I am. Come, see how the intent of your jealousy was to wound me, but it made both of us, the impact of that was that it made both of us small. Because only by seeing the truth, both yours and mine, can you begin to change what you have been and what you have done. In our, in our first worship service this morning, we celebrated the baptism. And it was one of those things that I love about the sacrament is that whether you're a parent or not, we as members of the kingdom of God, the family of God, say that this child is God's child. And we share in the responsibility of creating a safe, loving, welcoming environment where they can grow to know themselves as God's beloved. For us, middle, that means joining with parents and godparents, aunts and uncles, correcting our past actions and recreating a world where every child is taught to love all equally, but also not instilling in them any belief that because of the color of their skin or the gender that they identify with, that they are more deserving of care and protection and rights over another child. When we come closer and get proximate to our siblings, to our brothers and sisters, we are reminded that each of us is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God and that the love we share with them has the exact same contours of the love that we know for ourselves. And if we can't love our siblings for who they are, we might be missing out on the depth of love that God has for us. Middle, will you come closer? Will you come closer to the God who made you and sees you as you are? And to help us see each other as being made in God's image, regardless of the color of our skin or how we walk in this world. Can we bless those who are around us who've been persecuted and wounded and take responsibility for the role that we have in doing that, proclaiming the truth of our pain and the pain that we've inflicted on others so that truly one day we can be the people in the family of God. May it be so. Amen. excited to invite our young friends. You're used to going up there, but today I'm going to spread the blanket right this way. Our We Care friends, we're just ready to go. Thank you. We're going to spread our blanket here because I have three youth that are going to share about a special trip that they went on a few months ago, and I want our young friends to have a front row seat to hear their stories. Let's be good listeners. And um, there'll be some pictures we can also look at as we listen to these three friends. Hi, my name is Tarius Levy, and I'm a freshman. Uh, I'm Kellen Levy, and I'm a senior. And I'm Ruby Salvatore Palmer, and I'm a sophomore. As we celebrate Black History and Culture Month, we're here to share about a civil rights trip we participated in this past November. Middle Church joined with the Lower East Side Girls Club to have six high school students visit various sites, memorials, and museums in Alabama and Louisiana. We conducted interviews with activists, organizers, and community leaders along the way, and we even got to share about our own experiences on WHIV, a social justice community radio station in New Orleans. When you're in school reading about history in a book, does it ever feel real, or does it usually feel boring? On this trip, we met people who are so important to our shared history. One woman we met in New Orleans is named Leona Tate. You can see photos, photos of us listening to Leona's story as we interviewed her. 
Leona helped, <laughs> Leona helped desegregate schools when she was just six years old. At the time in New Orleans, schools were separate for white kids and black kids, and Leona and two other little girls entered a white school with federal marshals guarding them. The school that she marched into was called McDonough 19, so she's referred to as a part of the McDonough 3. In 2005, she was, the school was flooded by Hurricane Katrina. We met Leona Tate at the Lower Ninth War Living Museum, where we learned more about Hurricane Katrina and the ways the Lower Ninth neighborhood has celebrated life and worked together long before it was marked by this human-made disaster. Another important person we met on this trip was Martha Hawkins. Martha participated in the marches in Selma with Dr. King and Georgia Gilmore. Today, Martha owns her own restaurant called Martha's Place in Montgomery, Alabama, where she serves traditional Southern food. We ate one of my favorite meals there on the trip. It was such a pleasure meeting people like Leona Tate and Martha Hawkins and learning about history in real life. I am carrying the experiences of this trip and the first hand, hand accounts we heard into my school, my teams, my family, and back into the middle community. Many schools teach you about racism and about slavery, but most of the time they just scratch the surface. The education I previously received was relatively detached from any emotion and authenticity which disconnected it from reality. This history didn't feel real to me. The most important part of going on this trip was that it truly brought a huge part of American history to life. Here is part of my journal from the day that we went to the Legacy Museum and the Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery. Today was intense. As we were walking through the lynching memorial, I got this lump in my throat because suddenly everything felt real. The blocks with the names started to hang as the memorial led deeper into the ground. I kept seeing the structures as bodies. I kept imagining the unimaginable. I had this reaction that I've never had before, of nausea and distinct physical discomfort in response. The museum was the same. Studying the pain and subjection to humiliation and violence, actually seeing it, was unlike any other exposure to this material I've ever had. For the first time, I associated myself and my heritage with this acute perpetuation of subjugation. I can't believe people could actually do this to other people that people still do this to other people. Racism is so deeply woven into the fabric of our country. I keep asking myself, is there a way to eliminate racial bias? Is there a way to truly make people equal? So clearly, spending a day at this monument and museum was extremely impactful, and this is because I was fully immersed in the history. I think this is critical for everyone, but especially young people, to experience. On our last full day in New Orleans, we went to an art gallery called Studio B. It was built in a warehouse that was damaged and abandoned after Hurricane Katrina. Artist Brandon Odoms repaired the building and transformed it into an interactive art exhibit, building most of the exhibit out of debris from the storm. The pieces in the exhibit cover the effects of the hurricane on the community, as well as the effects of racism in general. However, the exhibit still gave a sense of hope. A major theme throughout this exhibit was the depiction of black icons. Many of the pieces emphasize the importance of recognizing heroes of black history, both past and present. Some of the pieces depicted black icons in an old biblical style, similar to the portraits we uh, recently featured here in the sanctuary. Uh, the lighting in the place was absolutely mesmerizing, with uh, structured darkness and spotlights highlighting different pieces, and some even glowing in the dark. This created bright messages that shone through the dark rooms, representing the hope that can shine through the dark parts of the world. One of my favorite messages below was a piece, uh, yeah, one of my favorite messages from, uh, from a piece was, they tried to bury us, but they didn't realize we were seeds. I like this quote because it conveys that not only do we have to remember and honor civil rights heroes, but we have to grow to become them as well. I think it's significant for youth to connect with this kind of art. Through these mediums, vital messages and ideas are given in such a breathtaking manner that they have an enormous impact on how we view ourselves and the world around us, shaping how we interact with one another and encouraging us to continue the work of justice. As you've heard, this trip had a major impact on each of us. When you give to Middle, you're supporting transformational experiences like this one for young people like myself. After today's worship, you're invited to meet a minister at the pulpit to learn more about joining this movement at Middle Church. It's a movement that welcomes all ages. Thank you for your continued generosity, Middle. Your donations make a real difference to the field of the shared movement for love and justice.
thank you, Tyrese, Kellen, and Ruby for sharing. The ushers will now come forward. Thank you, Middle. Let's pray. God, for these gifts that were given in good faith, that your work of love and justice not only will continue, but must continue, we give you thanks. And we ask that you use these gifts as we work on what it means to be family here at Middle Church so that we can transform and heal this world. Amen. And if you join us for our closing selection, ain't gonna let nobody turn me around, middle.
Middle family. Middle family, as you leave this place today, as you go out into the world, I invite you to come closer. To come closer to the injustice, to come closer to the violence, to come closer to the truth that sometimes we perpetuate and cause suffering in the lives of those around us. By coming closer, though, we will come to see the face of God. And that prayerfully, hopefully, in that place and seeing God's face, our lives will be changed. And it will inspire us to do the work that needs to happen so that all our lives will be changed. Go in God's name to do God's work for all God's people. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.